morning, everyone. It's nice to see you here today on this warm midsummer day. And we also want to welcome anyone who is uh, joining us on our live stream this morning. It's just really great to have you along as well. Well, we're going to continue this morning with our Summer Faves teaching series, which is my chance to share with you a favorite scripture passage. And today we're going to look at just a great story involving Peter and Jesus. So please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. It starts on page 1687 in the Red Bible under the chair in front of you, or you can use your phone if you wish. But be aware that I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So here we go. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Well, for those of us who live in Canada, we uh, cherish our summers, don't we? Now, I hesitate to even mention this on such a 
warm and humid midsummer day. Uh, but let's face it, we live in a cold climate uh, where, where snow and ice define reality just far too much of the time. So when summer finally gets here, and boy, it sure took a while this year, uh, we, we're ready for it, aren't we? Uh, we want to get outside, we want to enjoy the backyard, go for a walk or a float on the river, and let the sun soothe our cold and weary bones. Now, one of the most iconic Canadian summer experiences, of course, is to just sit by the water and contemplate. At sunrise or sunset, enjoying the stillness as, as color and light fill the sky. So why do we do this? Well, because there's something about the beauty of the moment, free from routine, that quiets our minds and hearts, giving us space to think about our lives. My wife, Karen, took the picture on the screen. That's our camp on the Washtomoke Lake at dawn. It's a recent picture after the floods had receded yet again. Karen sent that picture to our kids with the caption you read there, calm before a busy week. That says it all. Water and sky, light and color takes us to a quiet place where we can just think about things and get ready for what's coming next which brings us to Peter in the story we just read. Peter is a guy who once upon a time ran the family fishing business on the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, for all you uh, Bible trivia buffs, is actually a freshwater lake not much larger than Grand Lake, just an hour's drive from here. You know, Pete, fisherman Peter is larger than life. He just grabs your attention when you read through the Gospels. He's endearingly real, genuine, down-to-earth, doesn't put on airs. He's as honest as the day is long, and he has that X factor of a born leader. People just seem to follow him. But Peter is also as rough around the edges as they come. Impulsive, explosive, a think-before-you-speak kind of guy who is prideful and blunders into trouble. The story we just read takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the disciples have already met the risen Jesus twice. John chapter 20 tells us all about it. Now, of course, the first person to see the risen Jesus was a woman, Mary Magdalene, early on Sunday morning. And she goes straight to the disciples. I have seen the Lord, she says. Later that evening, while all the disciples except for Thomas are together, probably talking about what Mary said... Uh, Jesus, pardon me, Jesus suddenly, miraculously appears in the room with them. Chapter 20, verse 19. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the, the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So the disciples have met the risen Jesus and joyfully believe again. They now realize they've spent three years in the presence of God, being taught and prepared for a mission. And now the risen Jesus speaks to that mission, empowering them to carry it out. Verses 21 and 22. Again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then to reinforce all this, Jesus miraculously meets up with the disciples again a week later. This time, Thomas included, 
just so there can be no doubt about what's going on here. So here's the question. If Peter and the other disciples have met the risen Jesus and believe and are empowered now with the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission, then why on earth do they head to the Sea of Galilee to go fishing instead? It seems strange, doesn't it? Like they're walking away from this whole discipleship gig just when they know for certain that it's real, that they have a mission to fulfill. What's going on here? Well, put yourself in their shoes. They've been mentally and emotionally jerked back and forth. They'd spent three incredible years with Jesus. Then suddenly, he was dead. And while they're still working through the grief of that, and also wondering if those years were a complete and total waste, even as they're processing all that, now he's alive again and telling them there's even more yet to come. They're bewildered, overwhelmed. Their hearts believe, but their minds are racing to catch up. They have a lot of soul-searching to do. They just need space. They need, if I can put it this way, a Canadian summer moment on a lake to have time and space to sort it out as they wait for what's coming next. And in Peter's case, of course, things are even more complicated. He has a lot to work out, beyond even what we've already talked about. And we'll look at that in a moment. But let me first ask you a question. Have you ever let anyone down? Have you? Feel free to nod your heads or shake your heads. Have you ever let anyone down? Well, I see a few nodding heads around the room, but not everyone. So perhaps I'm presuming something here I, I shouldn't. And if so, I apologize. Maybe you, in fact, have your life together. Maybe you are always there for people all the time. You're never late. You keep your promises. You're totally honest. You follow through on all your commitments. In fact, you go the extra mile. People can count on you. Great. Or maybe you're a bit more like me, a work in progress. Let me share a story with you. This is years ago when I was at the, the University of Guelph. It was summertime. I was in the library doing a computer search for books and articles. Uh, there was no one else there except for one other man seated about six feet away doing a computer search too. And there was also a librarian way, way across on the far side of the room. I'm working away, focused on what I'm doing, when I see movement out of the corner of my eye, I look up and see that the man six feet away from me has collapsed out of his chair, is lying on the floor having a major epileptic seizure. The movement that caught my eye was not the man. No, it was the librarian running clear across the room to help this man while I was sitting just six feet away and didn't even notice what was happening to that man. Needless to say, that experience caused me to soul search. Time at a lake to ponder things would have been a great idea. I realized, first of all, that I had let that man down. Now, medically, there wasn't anything I could do except call 911, but at least I could have been by his side, present with him 
until the seizure passed. But as I thought about it more, I realized that experience was part of a growing pattern in my life. I was becoming so consumed by the world of the mind that I was losing touch with people, pushing them to the margins, giving them the very least of my time and attention. Not just strangers, mind you, but my wife and children too. I was letting them down big time. And I needed to face it, tough and painful though it was, and I needed to do something about it. Back to rough around the edges, Peter. John's gospel brings Peter's failures into sharp focus in the hours before the death of Jesus. We see a man, Peter, desperately trying to prove he's better than he actually is. During the Passover meal in John chapter 13, Jesus be predicts his betrayal. Verse 21, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. To which Peter replies with misguided, prideful loyalty, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. In other words, one of these others might do that, but never me. To which Jesus responds with a rebuke. Verse 38, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now let's move to chapter 18. Jesus is with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Judas arrives with soldiers and guards to arrest him. Impulsive, explosive Peter stands his ground, draws a sword, and cuts off the ear of a guy standing there. A violent act. And Jesus rebukes him again. Verse 11, Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So they arrest Jesus and take him to Caiaphas, the high priest, to be questioned. Peter is in the shadows trailing behind the arrest party, along with John, one of the sons of Zebedee, with whom he, he once fished the waters of Galilee. They join a bunch of people at a fire pit in the high priest's courtyard, and Peter gets recognized and challenged. Twice he's asked, you're not, one, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? Then another question. Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? And every time Peter denies it, until verse 27, immediately a rooster crowed. In the end, Peter lets Jesus down big time. We see a downward spiral in his character until he ultimately proves faithless. He abandons Jesus, denying he even knows him three times. So put yourself in Peter's shoes. You've let Jesus down before he died. Now the risen Jesus shows up, not just once, but twice, in my mind, I see Peter in those encounters with all the other disciples, bold and brash Peter who's always out front leading, now lurking in the shadows, hiding behind the other disciples, trying to stay out of Jesus' line of sight and determined not to make eye contact. Peter has failed Jesus. He can't forgive himself. He needs to go somewhere, a familiar place, a safe place to do some deep soul searching. First of all, to process the mental, emotional whipsaw that all the disciples were experiencing as they worked through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
but it's more personal for Peter because the risen Jesus has called and empowered him just like the other disciples to carry out a mission even in his failure. And Peter can't get his head around that. Peter just needs space to work it all out. So it stands to reason that he chooses to return to the same stretch of shore he's always known to make use of the family fishing boat to have a Canadian summer moment on a lake whose waters he's sailed for years to decompress and think it all through. So put yourself in that boat now with Peter and the other disciples. It's nighttime, quiet and peaceful. The gentle slap of water against the hull the occasional creak of the boat, calm and space to think. But the night drags on towards dawn, and calm gives way to frustration. Chapter 21, verse 3. They caught nothing all night. No fish. They're getting cold and tired, and they have nothing to show for it. Just imagine what's going through Peter's mind now. He must have been brooding on his failures as the night dragged on. I am such a loser. I failed my friend Jesus. I never learned from him. I didn't change my ways. I abandoned him. And now look, I can't even catch fish, the one thing I thought I could do in my sleep. So much for a contemplative moment on the water, eh? This night of fishing was not a helpful experience for Peter. And I'm guessing, in fact, that it brought Peter to rock bottom, right where Jesus needed him to be. Then into Peter's frustrations comes a voice from shore. It's familiar to him and the other disciples, but in the dark of dawn, a little way offshore, all they can see is a blurry figure, and the water distorts the voice a bit. And this person but this person certainly is friendly, and seems to know them. There's an intimacy to the voice. Verse 5, hey guys, have you caught any fish? You can just hear the frustration in the no. They all shout back at this, this person on the beach. Then the voice gives them some instructions. Verse 6, throw your net on the right side and you'll get some. A familiar voice, now a familiar action. Because three years ago, a man named Jesus had stood on this same beach and told Peter and the Zebedee boys, James and John, after they'd had another bad night of fishing, to cast their nets again, and they hauled in a miracle catch. You can read about it in Luke chapter 5. And it happens here too. A miracle catch. 153 large fish, it says. You know, fishermen always remember these things, and the one that got away, too. And Zebedee John now puts two and two together and realizes who's on that beach. Verse 7, it is the Lord. And Peter, a ragbag of conflicting emotions, doesn't hesitate, plunges into the water, leaves the heavy hauling to the other guys, swims and wades his way to Jesus as fast as he can get there. So let me ask you again. Have you ever let anyone down? Well, if you have, my word to you is this. Make your way to Jesus as fast as you can get there. And in his life-changing presence, be honest and come clean. Set things right. 
then with his help, live as a changed person, even if it means having a difficult conversation with the person you've disappointed or hurt. Because when Jesus gets involved, there is always grace, always. I shared earlier about difficult letdown experiences in my own life as I compete now against a thunderstorm. Um, well, now I want to confirm that I've also experienced God's grace. Once upon a time, kind of lost in the world of the mind, I pushed people to the margins, my family included. But with God's help, things did get sorted out, priorities got reset. And Karen and I are still married 35 years on, and I have two sons who love me, well, at least most of the time. And in what must surely be a moment of divine comedy, God called me, no doubt with a bit of a chuckle, to invest my life instead in a very people-intensive form of ministry as your community outreach pastor. Okay, we still have one more important step to take today. And Peter and Jesus helped get us there. Because you see, there's a question we haven't answered yet, and it's a big one. It's a doozy. How will you and I respond when someone lets us down? Well, let me suggest that we look to Jesus again. Because in this story, he models a generous grace that is kind and thoughtful and sensitive and careful, and which restores Peter from failure to hope. So here goes. Step number one. Meet people on their own terms. Don't expect people to come to you. No, go meet them where they are. That's what Jesus does. Jesus goes to Galilee, back to the shoreline that Peter knows so well, where he's most at home and safe, and of course, where Jesus had first called Peter to be a disciple. It's as if Jesus, the one who has gone to the cross for Peter, is saying to him, all is forgiven. The past is the past. Let's start all over again. Step number two, provide practical care before you have the tough conversations. Jesus does this in two ways in this story. First of all, in verse six, he provides a miracle catch of fish so that Peter and the other disciples, after a futile night of fishing, have a moneymaker catch to take to the morning market in nearby Capernaum. And secondly, in verses 9 and 12, Jesus lovingly cares for Peter and all of these cold and hungry and tired guys by having a warm fire waiting with fish and bread cooked and ready on the grill. And then Jesus goes the extra mile. Verse 13, Jesus served them the bread and fish. Bread and fish wrapped up in humility and kindness. Breakfast never tasted so good. Step number three. The tough conversations come last, but be prepared for pain with a purpose. The hard work of setting things right is always the final step. That's what happens in this story. Only after Jesus has met Peter on his own terms, only after Jesus has shown practical love and care to Peter, only after Jesus has gained Peter's trust again, does he take him aside, away from the group around the fire for a private heart-to-heart -heart chat to talk about things and to strip Peter down to the person he was 
before he ever met Jesus, then build him back up into a disciple. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Simon, son of John. Three times, Jesus calls Peter by his old name. The one he went by before Jesus invited him to be a disciple and named him Peter. You can read about this in John chapter 1. So Jesus calls him by his old name as if to say, we're meeting again for the first time. Then asks him, gesturing at the group by the fire, do you love me more than these other guys do? Which seems like a playing favorites question, but remember Peter's misguided prideful loyalty at Passover, Lord, I'm ready to die for you followed almost immediately by his public denial of Jesus three times. Peter's actions failed to meet the standard of his words. So it's a fair question. And a question Jesus repeats three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times. Three questions to remind Peter of three denials bringing Peter face to face with what he most wants to avoid, pushing back with those questions until Peter finally breaks. Verse 17, Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And now finally from his pain, Peter speaks the truth. Lord, you know everything. You are the most high God. You are the risen one. You can peer deep, deep into my soul. You know that I love you. Three questions to make Peter face, three denials and come clean. But for each denial, a healing benediction of grace to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, and Peter is restored. Have you ever let someone down? Has someone ever let you down? Well, either way, maybe it's time for a come-to-Jesus moment, because when Jesus gets involved, there is always grace. Let's pray together. God, we know just how much we need you in our lives because each of us really is a work in progress. Lord, the truth is we are frail and sinful people who simply can't put it together without your help. And too often we do let people down, even those closest to us, even you. And we find it hard to forgive ourselves. So we ask now that you'll come close and in your grace, take us as we are, but restore us to the people you call us to be. In the gracious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.